Get a credit card that gives you what you need now, a low interest rate on everyday purchases, and a place to transfer high interest rate balances. The PenFed Gold Contactless Card is our lowest rate credit card. You can even earn a $100 statement credit when you spend $1,500 in the first 90 days. Join PenFed, and together, we can help you keep more of what's yours. Visit penfed.org slash goldcard. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. The in-dash OLED display in the Cadillac Escalade has 38 total diagonal inches of color display. So why do we give it a curve too? I guess you could say we like to bend the rules. The 2021 Cadillac Escalade. Never stop arriving. Thanks for listening to Uncle Sam's Soccer Podcast, keeping you up to date with the latest in American soccer. And don't forget to subscribe. Hello, everyone. And welcome to this week's edition of Uncle Sam's Soccer Podcast. It's not Steven Jodder introducing it this time. It's Armand Kafai. He's actually sick. And it's his birthday. But joining me from Wisconsin is Steven Jodder. And joining us from Minnesota is the great Jake Retrova. On this week's episode, we're going to talk about the scrutiny and dynamics of potential relocation of the Columbus crew. Uh, Brian Shredder joins us to discuss the U.S. men's national team, the future of coaching. Make sure you give us a follow on Twitter at UncSamSoccerPod. We always enjoy your feedback and interaction. And continue to send them in. You can always find the show on the major podcast platform. I'd highly recommend you go listen to the latest episode where Jake and I actually complete our fourth uh, episode of the miniseries where we talk to Andrew Erickson of Columbus Dispatch, Morgan Hughes from Save the Crew, and Josh Babetsky from MLS in Austin. But let's jump right into it. A lot was made on Twitter regarding the Austin fans going up to Frisco, Texas to watch the Columbus crew take on FC Dallas. And Armand Kafai was there. Armand, tell us. I was, yeah. Tell, tell us what the atmosphere was like. Oh, man. Um, that's, that's, that's a tough one because it was very interesting. I actually met up with some uh, Austin supporters uh, for a story I was doing uh, prior to the match. Uh, at a local uh, bar, and uh, they were excited. Uh, they were telling me that this was never uh, planned, that this was never – If it was more of, hey, we, a lot of us want to come down to watch a game. Uh, that that team may have some players on our team next year. may not. We don't know. Um, and then that memo got, uh, I guess, leaked is the right word, uh, to the Twitter, and people blew up. Uh, the atmosphere, uh, Dallas supporters group – did not does not like Austin. I mean, we we heard plenty. We saw save the crew signs uh, at the at the match uh, from the supporters group. I think I saw one uh, hold uh, one specific fan hold him, and I think I saw a couple of save the crew jerseys sprinkled in there. Uh, There's a chance star saying I think it was like f Austin. I think like that. Uh, don't want to curse on the show because we're a family friendly podcast. But it's uh, it was just a really just interesting uh, dynamic because I don't know what's gonna happen next year because <laughs> if if MLS goes to Austin next year, I mean, will are these the same people who are gonna be going on the road trips? That's what that's what I'm interested. Where in. it was a really I think it was kind of hostile a little bit to be honest with you. And I personally, 
from my vantage point in the press box, I could not see MLS and Austin. They they were very, I guess, discreet is the right word, because I could not see them at all from the press box. So, I mean, they weren't making like a big scene or anything like that. They were very – they used to look like normal fans in the game from – uh, my vantage point on Twitter, I saw one person have an MLS Austin, in Austin scarf at the game. I think it was sitting next to Lamar Hunt statue over there on one of the I think what the North End. But Jake, yeah. f- somebody who's obviously not from Texas, what's your take on on this ordeal? And I I personally don't understand why people from Dallas are so pissed, or people nationally are so pissed that people from Austin drove up to see a team. That is not their team play. Like, if you're FC Dallas and you're a fan, it's great. More people at the stadium. We'll take your money. Spend your money support, here. Support your domestic. Support your domestic league, right? That's what I've been told. Uh, when I wasn't watching MLS, when I was only watching uh, the Premier League, Su- support your local league. The MLS can't get better unless you support it. And what do we have here? Uh, some some fans from Austin supporting their domestic league. They had. I mean, I don't know. I, in one hand, it is kind of a. I, I don't. I don't know if going to the game with the crew uh, playing in Dallas, going there with your MLS and Austin garb and your shirts and your flags and your scarves or whatever. Um, I don't know if that was in good taste, considering you know the what's going on right now in in Columbus and the state of Ohio with the the uh, pending litigation between PSV and. The state of Ohio. I don't know if that, that seems to be kind of a middle finger to crew fans, but on one instance, like like you said, it's just fans, soccer fans wanting to watch a soccer match. So what's the big deal? I, I do applaud that MLS in Austin, based on what Armand has said, uh, went going to the game discreetly, not making it known that they're from Austin, not having their black and green. Uh, I mean, some did. Hey, some Oak some Oaks. did, but but uh, I mean, well, from what the memo said, they 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 said, hey, we don't want y'all to make a big scene out of it. Um, and from we we in the press box tried to locate the crew, uh, the MLS in Austin, and we we could not find them. To be quite honest with you, maybe because I'm blind. I don't know. Is, is that is that count well, something? But uh, I just didn't see them. But their mission was to be discreet about it. I'm reading from uh, Dallas Morning News. Dan Crook. He, he talked about this ordeal before the match and, uh, quote, leaders from MLS and Austin group sent an email to members planning to attend in an effort to harbor good relations with Dallas's largest supporter section, the Beer Guardians. Unfortunately, this idea was mentioned without actually speaking with the Dallas Beer Guardians or anyone at or around FC Dallas. First of all, why does MLS and Austin have an obligation to reach out? They, it, it's a group of people. They told them if you go into the game, stay discreet. I don't see what an issue is. Why did it would have made a? It would have been a bigger deal if the people in Austin had reached out to the Dallas Beer Guardians. I think that a that would have made the be- Dallas Beer Guardians and the Dallas supporters you know, section right, a bad. I think you're right. Can't. That's legitimizing it. That's legitimizing. Exactly. So you just let it be. You just ignore people. If they come to the game, great. And then this is the this is the line where I get I, this baffles me. Dan continues to write. The timing is also poor. The crew still belong to the city of Columbus, and this is both MLS's chi- uh, childhood cancer night and Dallas's LGBT Pride weekend. Sorry, but Austin fans who th- that's not going to bother them. 
it's not like they had a choice of like, okay, well, let's go to a game in Dallas on LGBT Pride Weekend and MLS Childhood Cancer Night. Yeah, that, uh, that somehow has Austin influenced that decision. I'm sorry, but Austin does not have any control of that. Columbus was playing Dallas. They had, you know, they could have bought tickets or circled this game last season when the announcement was made by pre-court that Columbus is looking to Austin. They could have circled this whenever the schedule came out. I don't know when Dallas Dallas decided to do an LGBT Pride Weekend or MLS Childhood Cancer Night. In fact, I think it's good. More people at the game. More people to celebrate Pride Weekend. More people to get in the get into the message behind MLS Childhood Cancer Night. It, how is how is that taken away from it? Somebody explain that to me, please. I, I I'm baffled by the situation. Why are people pissed going to an MLS soccer game when we know in this country MLS is fifth when it comes to how important some markets? Yeah, it might be one, two, or three. But in Dallas, I guarantee you that is the fifth team. People have absolutely no concern of what FC Dallas is doing. Armand, Jake, thoughts? Man, I was just, I, I was just going to let you go there because you were kind of yeah, rolling. me too. <laughs> I, was just, I'm, I'm, I got my popcorn ready. I'm just sitting here. I'm just kind of you know listening. I wish I had some popcorn. Damn, like <laughs> that, that was a. Uh, I mean, Stephen, I think the whole the whole issue with. Uh, the thing is, I think first off, if the memo was never leaked, um, do you think anyone would notice? That's that would that would be my first thing, and because um, I think that would change the kind of narrative behind it. Because this memo was leaked, it does look like from here that hey, um, that okay, they're they're apparently organizing a trip down there, but um, they they didn't get any buses or anything like that, and. You know, quite frankly, like shoot, man, I, I'd love to see MLS stadiums more full. And if if people from Austin want to drive up three hours to come watch a game, so be it. That's their call. Like, I'm, which which they already do. Some of the FC Dallas fans them, are from exactly. Austin, so some of them already do that. So I don't, I don't, I don't. It, sure, it, it might it might be an issue because it, it's it's Columbus and Austin. But hey, man, like at the base of things. It's some people coming up to watch a team that potentially isn't theirs that still is up in the air. We still don't know if it's going to be a, a team in Austin, and they're coming up to watch a game. Well, like, let, I, I think it's interesting. It, it is interesting, but let, let's not forget, Precord is doing a massive disservice to everybody right now. Come on, come out and tell us what the hell you're thinking. Furthermore, it should be Dan MLS's Garber. job and Dan Garber to come out and tell fans of Columbus and fans of Austin what's going on. Because those two fan bases, one of them is going to get shafted. One of them is going to get their heart ripped out. Whether they stay in Aus- uh, in Columbus or move to Austin. And you, you yeah. leave crew Steven, fans... Steven, you're right, you're right. You're right. The criticism should fall... On MLS and pre-court, I'm confused why some of these some of the fans have been caught in the in the in the like the crossfire. It should fall strictly on uh, uh, MLS and pre-court because they need to they need to announce you know like grow up a little bit and say hey we're gonna we're doing A B and C, like they're throwing both fans are in the dark because Austin's like oh we might get an MLS team and Columbus like oh we might lose our MLS team. No one knows what's going on and anyone that says they know what's going on they're lying to you. So no one knows what's going on. 
even some of the Austin supporters, they're like, man, like this team isn't ours yet. Uh, we 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 don't know. I mean, it it could be, it could be, but we don't know. It's not our team. Like, like this is this we're as much in the dark as as crew fans. Like, we don't know what's gonna happen. We don't know our future. So I'm mean, I'm with you on that. I, I yeah, I don't know. I <laughs> this I I I don't understand the 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 why this is such a big deal. I the schedule when, when the schedule came out, you, you see. Oh, Columbus Crew going to Frisco in in in, in mid September. There might be some Austin folks that come up for that game. I don't know why that wasn't kind of uh, an expected thing. I don't know. I don't know why anyone is is surprised. And to to, to kind of build off of Armand's point, I don't know why the the Austin supporters are are, are getting um are getting ripped on for doing this and and, and why it's almost like they they are getting as much grief as MLS and, 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 and PSV is. I mean, you can't – like, be in, put yourself in their shoes. They don't have a professional sports team down there. If you're a soccer fan, you don't have a team. And all of a sudden now someone says, hey, I want to bring soccer to MLS, or I want to bring uh, MLS to Austin, <laughs> sorry. Um, <laughs> yeah, let's bring soccer to Major League Soccer. <laughs> Some Euro snobs might argue that uh, you do need to bring soccer to MLS. But anyway – that was that was a good comeback, Jake. I like it. Yeah, maybe don't edit that out. Leave it in there. Um, <laughs> but anyway, I, I just don't understand why we're giving this this group of people grief. Why we are ripping them down? Because they're excited that they're getting a soccer team and the team that potentially is going to be playing in their city come next year, next spring. They want to go and see them. What's their? I don't know. Like they try to do it discreetly. Uh, the media in Austin leaked the story, and now it's they're the bad guys. Like Armand said, they didn't go to Frisco with their with flags waving, scarves up. Uh, yeah, it's not banners, organized all in the corner. Like it like, wasn't like they yeah. were a traveling away section for for crying out loud. Like the five or ten crew fans that were there, or, you know, like, or if it was any other. Because if that was the case, I think it'd definitely be an issue. Uh, if they're like, you know, like uh, like flaunting like their gear and, and all that stuff, because then like you're kind of like, okay, you're kind of claiming a team that's not yours, and like you're a third party. Why the hell are you here? But you're right, because they did they did it so discreet. I couldn't see them from the press box, and that's a very good vantage point. It's not like I have a garbage vantage point. It's a very good vantage point. I couldn't see them. So they did their job being discreet. Armand, Armand could you, before we continue in this conversation, we should have done this earlier in the show, but can you just read out what the memo said? Just for our listeners yeah, yeah, to get more context. I'll, I'll paraphrase it. Yeah, yeah. So it was a memo sent out in their newsletter uh, that uh, anyone can sign up for, uh, but uh, they, uh, they, it wasn't supposed to, you know, like it was supposed to be specifically targeted towards members. It wasn't supposed to go out. Um, and they said, uh, you know, uh, we have to be low-key, no banners, TIFO, taunting, Austin chants or cheers to be respectful to any crew fans. We encounter – or Dallas fans who are sympathetic to the situation. If you're wearing your shirt or your scarf as an individual choice, what we don't want to see is a camera point or a section and easily point out to Austin supporters, n- nor people going out of their way to wave an Austin scarf, hat, or T-shirt in someone's face. Uh, they, they said uh, – think of this as more of like a scouting mission, I guess. It's a great chance to build relationships at the beer garden, uh, Dallas Beer Gardens, a uh, sports group, and see some players in action ahead of next year. And the last thing says is, please do not forget that our team, that the team on the pitch on September 15th is not Colum- is still Columbus's. Sorry, it's not ours. 
that's what the memo was saying. I don't I don't see any issue with it. Build good relations. I, I think the problem is they weren't traveling as a group. They're traveling as individuals. So they're basically going, look, you're, we're all part of this one family here in Austin. Just don't make us look bad. You know, some you know responsibility to the individuals who are involved there. I, I, I think it's, it's a little overblown. I think people mistake their anger towards Anthony P, Precourt and MLS and put it on the Austin fans. Look. You can't blame Austin fans for having the opportunity to receive an MLS team. It's part of American sports culture, this relocation thing. There's talk about the Jacksonville Jaguars about being, you know, relocating them. And let me tell you, I'm sure the NFL, if they could, they relocate them in a heartbeat. Save the Jaguars. Yeah, where's that trend? Um, but, Jake, moving forward... This Austin dynamic, this is going to set up a really interesting dynamic in the league. If the crew move to Austin, you're going to talk about a club that is hated off the back. Yeah, it'll be that way for two years, and then people will move on and forget. I mean, come on. We have this conversation, I feel like, like, like the last three weeks. No, but I oh, feel man. people are going to really hate the uh, – are really going to hate Austin FC, L Tree. They're going to, man, that's going to be – people are never going to forget that. Like, come on, man. No one hates the Houston Dynamo. No one cares anymore. And if anybody tweets me again about how the Houston Dynamo moving, to, uh, the San Jose Earthquake moving to Houston is completely different than than the crew moving to Austin. How it, you know, like, well, that the owner had no choice. Like, why are we defending billionaire owners in San Jose for jerk? And I. He, he can't take my team. But what he did in San Jose to Houston, perfectly fine. Don't really care. And that's it. Nobody cares. Nobody's going to care in two years. At the end of the day, it's going to be the, uh, the Texas Derby or whatever the hell it's called between Dallas and Austin or Austin and Houston. Lone no one's going to care. No, the Lone Star State Derby, they're going to have the Lone Star Cup like they have the Cascadia <laughs> Cup or whatever. They're going to do stupid stuff like that. And no one's going to care. No, you know what I mean? Like, come on, man. Atlanta's like the most hated club in MLS. And that's only because they're good. And that's only because the fans give off, a, or maybe this is even Seattle. You can give it to Atlanta or Seattle about how, oh, we're the we're like the, the crown jewel of U.S. soccer. And like, <laughs> like this most smug thing, like, no one's really going to care. It's a team in five years. It's so stupid. Stop pretending that this is a big deal uh, in, in, like, like the grand scheme of things. This is an American sports league. You wanted your American take on soccer. You got it. You got playoffs. You got no pro rail. You got a salary cap. And guess what? Sometimes teams relocate. And guess what? It happened. It's going to happen again. Uh, brilliant. Uh, Alexi Lawless S. Rand. Well, it's, uh, it's, it's just stupid. Come, I mean, like with these people, like everybody who, and this year's now, I think it too, it pisses me off. You get these people who, <laughs> Don't want promotion relegation in this in this league, right? Or in this country? We don't know. We can't have, can't have promotion relegation because the lower leagues couldn't support it. The owners couldn't support it. So why why are we defending the owners for promotion relegation? We don't want that. But then when the owners want to do the thing for their business to better their business potentially, all oh, these these stupid greedy owners, you know, screw them. Well, pick one. Stop talking out of both sides of your mouth. It's so stupid of soccer fans in this country who want it one way and they want it the other way. They want to eat their cake or have their cake and eat it too. B 
Be yeah. consistent. Yeah, that's Be all. consistent. Consistency is key. And what people don't realize is that you have to be consistent with your your principles. But with Columbus and Austin, you have two fan bases that really shouldn't hate each other. Okay? I, I, I don't understand the animosity towards each other. The crew want the crew to stay there. Okay? That's Columbus' stake. Austin, they just want a team. Okay? It's sad that they're getting it. They want, But this is the only option they have. Why? Because U.S. soccer... Uh, has this system that doesn't have the ability to allow teams to go up and down like you see in Europe. But more importantly, Columbus Crew fans and Austin fans, where is the initiative to take your hate towards each other and push it to the league? Because the league is now... Who deserves start- it? Because the-, the league... Like, yeah, Steve, I'm sorry to interrupt you, no, man. Go. But like, now I'm about to go on my soapbox. I just... I'm baffled that we're sitting here right now with two fan bases that hate each other but there's like no like basis like for like oh you're gonna get a team at expense of my team okay that might that might make sense but why isn't the hate shifted towards hey mls for facilitating this hey some of the other owners for uh you know like kind of letting this happen not being out outspoken for hell the single entity structure you could even go on and on don garber has handled this terribly terribly He's kind of saying, oh, yeah, we might have a team in Columbus, too, you know. But, you know, Austin, you know. Meanwhile, guys, I can't believe this. This is a team that's about to get relocated, and they're releasing logos without the team actually being announced yet. How does this make any sense? How is MLS going to say, yeah, PSV, do that. Go do that. Are they out of their minds? That makes no sense. None of this makes any sense. And this is this is this is the reason why this isn't blown up is because MLS has handled this terribly. MLS has handled this terribly. The fans in Austin, they have nothing to do with how bad MLS has handled this. Why are they allowing PSV to release these things? How does this make how does this make anything better? The team hasn't officially relocated and there's still a logo. What if the team doesn't even play? What if they're like they reach a settlement with Columbus and like they and something happens to Modelo and they can't play? How does this look for the league? It looks terrible. This is all MLS. MLS needs to get their act together and figure out. They should have made sure before pre-court announces uh, intentions moves to Austin that, you know, securing the land would have been a little bit easier than what it was because it was a pain in the behind to get that figured out. But you know what? We're going to sit there. We're going to blame the fans or everything. Oh, yeah, them, us Austin fans, all of them. You know what? No. Let's look and blame the bright people. Let's look at pre-court. Let's look at MLS for completely mishandling the situation and making everyone just look terrible in each situation. Why? Why are we looking at the fans like, oh, you're coming to the soccer game? Well, screw you. You're 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 a pos. But you know what? ML, uh, we don't hear anything about pre-court or Garber. They should be getting 100% of the blame, and that's it. Like, I don't, I don't get, I don't get this, I don't get this, guys. Like, we're defending, we're defending, like y'all saying, we're defending owners. Like, and mm-hmm. I think Jake has hit the hammer on the head. Why are we protecting owners? Oh, we want to protect their best interests, but the other ones are like, oh, you know, don't do this. Why are we expecting Anthony Precourt to sell the crew to a local business owner when maybe his valuation of the crew is going to be much higher than what the crew want, uh, uh, people in Columbus want to pay for it? Guys, remember, we talked about that number with the Toronto FC's expansion being like $20 million and now being – it's like $150 million like seven years later. Why Why are we expecting Precourt to sell? What are we <laughs> doing? <laughs> what are we doing? Are we like it, – it's, it's just so it's so bizarre. You know what? I don't want to blame the Save the Crew supporters because, you know what, I would do the same thing if I was trying to defend my team. But, like, everyone else, 
What are we doing? Seriously. I love this Taylor Twelman impression you're doing right now. No, but like, oh, don't worry. I'll be going on that with the U.S. Men's National Team. Don't worry. Don't worry. <laughs> Stay go, tuned. Go segments. I'll be going into that. <laughs> that's gonna be that's gonna be something else. But guys, like, I just I don't get it. I'm a Jake here. I don't get it. I really don't get it. Anyway, listeners, it makes uh, no sense. It, it makes no sense. It really doesn't. Listeners, send in your hate at Armand Kafai, at Steven Jodder, and at Jake Wittroba. Jake's I'm already here. gotten some. Yeah, spread so. the love out. I don't, I don't want all the hate. Spread <laughs> the love. Give Steven some hate. Give Armand some hate. I love to troll, but sometimes, you know, when you tweet me during a Vikings game on Sunday afternoon, I don't care. I'm not going to respond. Unc Sam Soccer Pod. Keep Just it send it all there. Uh, keep it at 240 characters. Anyway, listeners, up next is Brian Shreda. We'll talk some U.S. men's national team, and uh, I assure you, we'll get more hot takes coming your way. Joining us now on the show is America Soccer Now's Brian Shreda. You can follow him on Twitter at Brian Shreda. Brian, how are you doing today? Well, very good, very good. Thanks for having me on, guys. Brian, thanks thanks for joining us this afternoon here. Um, Want to talk about the U.S. men's national team performances against Brazil and Mexico. What did you make of those? I mean, it, it's a work in progress. You check about how hard it is to overhaul an entire team. Um you know, and just completely remove gut a core and then try to establish one against the hardest team, some of the best teams in the world. It's just, you know, you're going to take your lumps along the way. And Brazil was the, you know, was, was a learning lesson. And, and uh, Mexico, you know, I, they didn't start off well, but when the formation changed when Julian Green came in, um, you know, Julian Green was good, but it also forced a formational change, which was even better. And I thought the U.S. played all right. Um, you know, it's learning lessons for everybody. And um, uh, definitely some players improved their stock and um, some did not. And, uh, you know, and I think it's leaving a real clear game plan for, for, the, for the next coach um, uh, whenever he takes, um, takes, the, takes the reins. Do you think it's hard for these players to be in a situation where the coach is – not going to be there for the next cycle of, I guess, World Cup qualifiers? No. I mean, look, I think, you know, all these players have dealt with managers for short-term performances. And, uh, you know, and I think when you're in a position where you're just trying to get a taste of the national team game, um, you know, you're you're going to be motivated regardless because you know that the next coach is going to go back and look at these tapes and that this is your chance to really show what you can do against either a rival or against a team like Brazil or before that it was France and Ireland and Bolivia. Like you're learning, you know, you're so, you, the, the moment here and the players are so young that, you know, um, that I think it's, I think, you know, you could say what you want about, you know, I don't think he's the right person for the next job. I think they need a different direction. But I think Sarakin has been very good in the fact that he's kind of calmed everything down and he's done a good job of shielding these players from like being attached to the, um, to like the core that really oversaw like the world cup qualifying failure. He's done a good job of, of, of like, you know, not having these players have to answer for that because they weren't around at the same time, but he's, 
but he's kind of shielded that distraction away from them. And, and I think they really respect that. They like playing for him. The players I spoke to, even the guys abroad, MLS doesn't matter. They, 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 they like playing under him. So, um, you know, I, you know, as much as I consider, you know, even when he makes formational situations, formations, I don't really agree with to start the game. He's done very well from a personal standpoint and in, in terms of getting these players hungry to play these games and, and excited to play these games and, and not to have to deal with too much nonsense. So for that, man, he's been a great age for a manager in that sense of the word. So, you know, the players have responded well and, um, you know, and, and I think it's been pretty easy for them, as easy as possible. Brian, was there any uh, any player you were most impressed by during the uh, during these two games? I mean, that his his case the most, um, and uh, and obviously Tyler Adams played very very well. Um, but you know what's funny is is what what really impressed me a lot was Anthony Robinson because he did take some lumps against Brazil and you know you play these games against opponents like this with such a young court knowing you're going to take your lumps you know you're you're not going to see guys easily or you know be able to handle all their attackers I mean it's just not possible um, so it's a question of how they respond when they do take their lumps because that's what you want to see from these games you're not going to unrealistic to expect that these guys are going to be able to compete with them, but it's how they respond if they, if they make a mistake. And, you know, look, I, Douglas Costa, you know, um, got by, attacked Anthony Robinson effectively a couple of times um, against Brazil, and one of them resulted in a goal. Robinson played well, though. Towards the end of the game, he had the best, most dangerous U.S. chance with that really good cross, in the event, cross into the box. And then against Mexico, he tilted the game for the United States. Um, when he came in, took advantage of the man, being a man up and used his speed. And then his, it was his assistant Adams that did it, that really won the game. So his response was really, very telling in a good way, because that's what you want to see from these guys is how they respond. So, you know, those are guys that I think helped. I mean, Julian Green did well, um, uh, oh, you know, and, and I think, you know, um, Zach Steffen is, is clearly far and away the number one um, goalkeeper there. So, you know, uh, they're accomplishing quite a bit here, I think, this year in terms of being able to address a real good depth chart at a lot of different positions. You know, some people are saying nothing, nothing's, nothing's changed since, like, the, um, since the World Cup failure. I disagree completely. I mean, they've, they've, they've got a bunch of young, hungry players who are doing well, responding well. And, and they've developed a good depth chart. Now they have a general manager in place, you know, and, and um, so it's, um, uh, they are making, you know, progress in a lot of key ways. And obviously they, in the mean, since that failure, they've also learned the right to host the world cup, which is not, doesn't, which is a very rare occurrence and it's tough to do. And a lot of politics involved and they pulled it off. So, yeah, I think it's since it's been, it's been, it's been a good year and they've done a lot of good. Well, a big talking point is the U.S. men's national team vacancy at the at the manager or coaching position. Obviously, we have an interim, Dave Sarakan. But what is what is your feeling? The U.S. soccer wants to go towards is it somebody in MLS or are they looking abroad? Well, I mean, you know, I think you got to look at the individual coach, um, and you know. Uh, you know, I think to look at guys who are currently, you know, um, in MLS, I think they'll probably look at guys who are currently abroad. Um, Ernie has a big Rolodex. 
Um, you know, I, I still believe that the, the rumors there that, that there is validity to um, Greg Berhalter being the guy. I mean, he's done well with the crew. Um, uh, you know, yes, he's coached four years in MLS, but he's, you know, he, here's a guy who has extensive experience abroad and um, domestically. I mean, he was 15 year career abroad and captain of two teams. Um, you know, studied for his coaching licenses while he was living abroad too. I mean, he's, he had that, always had that mindset as a player, um, very good world cup success as a player. So I, you know, I think, you know, there's a guy who, and players responded well to him, um, when he was a player. So, um, uh, you know, he had a lot of leadership, um, and he's very serious nonsense kind of a guy. And then, you know, when you're looking at a reason why, the U S team failed, uh, to qualify. It really wasn't a lack of talent. I mean, yeah, yes, it wasn't as strong of the U S teams as they've had in years past, but there was, the, the team was coming apart at the seams, I think, you know, internally. I mean, and that really showed, I mean, there was a divide on the team. And, um, there really wasn't a coherent philosophy. And, you know, I, I think, you know, Burhalter is the kind of guy that, that, that is no nonsense to the point where he just won't put up with that. And, He's not going to let things get out of control um, like that. And I think, and uh, you know, Ernie Stewart is too. I mean, Ernie Stewart's a guy who, when you look at his role as technical director for you know, four Dutch teams, um, you know, they uh, or three, they, um, uh, you know, team chemistry and cohesion was 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 a big thing of of what he did. That and analytics were two things that you know you could say were different about him that 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 really defined how he ran programs. So I think, you know, both those guys kind of, you know, have the same value points um, and, and believe they check a lot of boxes and, and um, you know, I think for has been able to connect well with American players. So as a player and a coach, so, you know, I think it's going to be him, but it really wouldn't surprise me, you know, if, if, if some other names started entering into the mix too, as well. Brian, what do you make of these rumors about David Moyes being interested in the managerial opening? Uh, he seems to be throwing his name out there uh, to media members. Does he have any chance of landing this position? I mean, I think that the the last questions. I mean, when when you look at a guy who's you know coached guys like Tim Howard and Landon Donovan, you know, well had a lot of success and has a lot of context. Um, yeah, I think you you it would be wrong to uh, to at least dismiss the fact that they'll do their due diligence on him. Although I think it's it's slim that he'll get the job, but his stock has fallen quite a bit um, over the years. And look, I, he's also making noise about you know wanting to take the Atlanta United job if um, if Tata Martina moves on. You know, I think there's a lot of it for him being in the United States. I think that's what's driving the discussion. Um, but you know, whether or not he's the right guy for the job is, you know, you have to ask some serious questions about why things haven't gone right for him. Um, you know, uh, you know, in, in, you know, over the last however many years. Brian, one last question here and we'll let you go. Uh, so much has been made about the the failure to qualify for uh, Russia 2018. Uh, does does the national team need guys like Josie Alstor and Michael Bradley uh, in it uh, for the next qualifying cycle? Well, I mean, you got to look at the position by position, um, you know, and then you got to you got to look at the roster about what, and then the depth 
chart and then see whether or not, you know, any player makes sense. You know, you, uh, I, my belief is that they're not linked together. Um, uh, and I think there's a lot greater chance of Josie Altador coming back to the national team than Michael Bradley. I mean, just because there's just, there are not a lot of forwards right now um, in the player pool that are playing professionally um, at a high level. I mean, like you'll talk about Sargent and Weah, but they're still very raw and, and um, new players that like they're unestablished and, you know, they're, they're, they're at a career where like they're, they haven't successfully made it yet. You know, you don't know where their ceiling or where their floor is as a player. So you can't really bank on them as being like, maybe they'll, they will emerge and be there in four. And um, whereas in central midfield, you know, there's a lot of good options right now that the team should feel very comfortable with. And that, that might push Michael Bradley out. Um, but for Josie, there's just not a lot of guys that are unequivocally coming out and, and saying like, look, I, I belong here instead of Josie hopefully, you know, you always want to see, always, you always want to see players get pushed down when they start getting towards 30. You always want to see a young group emerge and knock down the older generation, but that has not happened yet. It might happen with Sergeant Leia and others, but it hasn't happened yet. So I, I think there is a chance that Josie, a good chance that Josie comes back to the national team until someone does. And that's the way it should be too. You know, you have to, you don't want to hand anything to players that don't deserve it. And, um, um, you want someone to come up and unequivocally take it from Josie, but that hasn't happened yet. No doubt, no doubt. Well, Brian, thank you so much for your time today. Uh, please tell our listeners where we can find your work and where we can find you on Twitter. Oh, well, I'm, I'm on Twitter all the time, Brian Sharetta, um, S-C-I-A-R-E-T-T-A. I'm an American soccer now most of the time, although um, you know I, I appear at some other places too um, and uh, maybe some other different places in the near future. Um, you know, and, and, and I've done quite a bit of work in the past for the New York Times as well. So um, you can find me a lot of different places, but check American Soccer now first. Oh, the U.S. Men's National Team. At this point, we might as well call it the U.S. Men's Youth National Team because it seems like we're only playing kids these days. Uh, Jake and Armand, an interesting week for the U.S. Men's National Team. Beat Mexico 1-0 in Nashville. Lose to Brazil 2-0 up in New York. I don't know. Can you take away anything from those matches? We talked to Brian about it, but what is what are y'all's takes on it? Um, Julian Green is still a relevant player, <laughs> which always always makes me laugh. Don't, uh, don't tell, us, don't tell his dad that. Oh yeah, his, yeah. <laughs> you, you want to tell the listeners what happened? <laughs> uh, I tweeted that I was surprised that uh, Julian Green was the, one of the best players on the pitch, and uh, his dad replies, or I guess someone in his family replies, really? And uh, yeah, so that's how I started Twitter beef with uh, Julian Green's dad. So. There we go. It's kind of weird. But... What about you, Jake? I have two two things. Two things here. First of all, uh, 
the U.S. going forward looks very uh, poor without Christian Pulisic. So he, I think he's crucial, well, obviously, very crucial to this team uh, for this next uh, next four years here as we qualify or get ready for 2022. And the other thing that stood out to me is for the first time since Brazil, I shouldn't say the first time, but one of the few times since Brazil, we saw an American player show some backbone. We saw Matt Miazga kind of stand up to uh, some of the some 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 of the opposition. I really I know this is a, a point of controversy that we shouldn't you know make fun of people who are shorter than us. <laughs> we shouldn't make fun of people who are five six or five seven or you know whatever. Hey, but chill I, out, man. <laughs> I know you that that really got you, didn't it? You were very offended by that. I know. Oh, extremely. No, I I really liked it. I really liked that he kind of showed some kind of that fu attitude. I'm gonna get in your face and. It's just something we haven't seen from the U.S. and like it feels like since Brazil. I don't know about if you guys agree about that. I'll be honest; I completely forgot about that moment, and that's been in the news. Like, into, I, I forgot that moment will probably would not have been mentioned on the show by me at least because I had forgotten about it. My big concern is I really don't care what happens on the field. You know why? Because off the field, U.S. soccer is such a disaster that progress. Brian talked about progress, and I can see where, why and where he sees it. But let, let's put this hat on. If you're Mexico, you got to the World Cup, you beat Germany, you crash out against Brazil. You play four games at the World Cup. You have these friendlies in September. You roll out a bunch of young kids. A couple of them, or one of them at least, scouted by Manchester United. But they, too, have an interim head coach. What has U.S. soccer done for the last freaking year regarding a head coaching position? You don't have a, a top three, a list, a, a, a couple of names that Ernie Stewart could tell a media member to tell the fans, like, look, we're looking at a couple of names. I'm not going to mention who, but we have a list. Right now, it is the exact same crap that we're getting with MLS and Anthony Precourt regarding the crews. We don't get we get nothing. We have no direction, nothing. The leadership in U.S. soccer as a whole, in MLS and U.S. soccer as a federation, is terrible. And it should really question whether or not they have the, the backbone to lead and steer this ship to 2026. Because 2022 will be a, a preparation for 2026 when the World Cup is here in America. We don't have a coach. <laughs> it's been it's been almost a year. We don't have a coach, and we, um, well, I guess I don't know what are we like. Uh, I hit my best Taylor Twelman impression now, but what are we doing? Seriously, guys, like think about it. We laughed off probably one of the better coaching prospects out there, who's bilingual, who has a proven track record in the World Cup, and Juan Carlos Osorio. We laughed him off. <laughs> we'll just use our Greg Berhalter. Like, man, we're waiting one year for an MLS coach. Like. Couldn't this have been done like seven months ago or something like that? Like, why is this taking so long for an MLS coach? Oh, you're so it's right. Not like, Sorry, Armand. It's not like we're going after that. Um, we're looking at Greg Burhalter, and he could be a great coach. I don't care. He's an MLS coach. Why are we taking so long for an MLS coach? And the fact of the matter is, Taylor was talking about it on the air that, look, he might be more intrigued by the LA Galaxy offer. Excuse me, what? A guy 
is more interested with an MLS team offer than a U.S. men's national team? Are you joking? You know, was, um, Jake Jake made a little bit of like a short list of uh, can, candidates that have been thrown around the media. I'm going to throw some out there, uh, and then I want y'all's uh, perspective. Burrowhalter, no. Vermees, Tom no. Ramos, no. Greg Vanny, Tata no. Martino, no. Bob Bradley, no. Louis Van Gaal, no. David Moyes, no. And I was talking to someone about this, and uh, this is I wanted to bring it up to you guys. Why are we hearing Oscar Pereja being thrown into this hat? He was like the guy everyone was talking about in 2016. All of a sudden, one bad year, and we're just going to throw all the stuff he's done out the window? And this night in my FC Dallas, like, I guess, because I talk to him almost every week. It's not something my bias showing. It's, it's Looking at the candidates, you got Greg Berhalter, great coach. But has there been any player he's kind of developed from like a homegrown status? Armand, I mean, he's, he, go ahead. You, that's the name I want. You know why? Is because you you cross you kill like three birds with one stone here. He's bilingual, so you, you appeal to the Hispanics, which have been neglected by U.S. soccer. He's from a multicultural locker room, so he knows that dynamic. He's respected, and he has a no nonsense attitude. He will cut and your ass, wins. and he will and put. He, he will trade you to the worst team in MLS in the Colorado Rapids, and now don't care that you're the face of the franchise. Kellen Acosta was the face of FC Dallas, and he said, "Bye bye. I can replace you with somebody cheaper and more efficient." Bye. And Dallas has done quite well without Kellen Acosta, and he wins. Uh, and he wins. Yes, uh, that, but I, I think none of those names come up and people on Twitter have been tweeting the show as a show's account that Burhalter is overrated and Peter Vermeens has a better track record in winning percentage and has multiple trophies to his name. What has Burhalter ever won? Second place in the MLS Cup. Yeah. <laughs> but Jake MLS those names, those intrigued you? Because I'm on the Oscar Pereira bandwagon. I want somebody new who has not been linked with the job what about you? Do you want somebody from Europe? I guess I just want the best guy. I don't. There, there's some names on here that I, I, I think are sexier than others. I would think. Ooh, David Moyes, so sexy. David Moyes is the one guy. I'm like, I don't want David Moyes. I've seen, I, I've, I've seen what David Moyes can do, and I, and I don't like it. I don't want, I don't want to ride that bus. I, I, I you know, I'm, I'm not on that bandwagon. But there are guys on the list. Like a Peter Vermees or a Greg Vanny or a or a, or a Burhalter that, while they're not um, sexy, and they're uh, they probably won't be in the top of my list. And if you're gonna ask me who's on the top of your list, I'm, I don't really to be honest with you. I, I, there there isn't one guy I have marked as this is the number one guy I want. This is the guy who I, I would because I, we don't have one. We don't have they're one. All the same. They're all. all, they're all, they're all but like if you the same. everyone. Everyone who's like, I don't want an MLS coach. I mean, who's to say Greg Berhalter or Peter Vermees can't can't get more out of the national team than a guy like Bruce Reiner or Klinsman did? You know, I mean, who who who's to say? I don't know. Who's to say the U.S. doesn't want to wait for Jose Marino to get fired from Manchester United? Now, I don't know if Jose Marino would want the national team job, but who's to say they don't? They're out waiting for him. And who's to say he can't get more out of the out of the out of the national team than Klinsman or? Uh, Bruce Arena. Again, I'm completely speculating here, but I just want the best guy for the job. I want. I just want a guy that 
we're, we're three years from now, we're like, man, the national team's rolling again. They're, they're, we're, we're back on track. Everything's everything is all hunky dory. I don't have to worry about. I'm not sitting here questioning like I was in in 2015 during like the first round or second round of Concacaf qualifying. Yeah, I don't think the U.S. is going to qualify for the for the World Cup in Russia, and I have proof of that. I've shown you guys that I in 2015 I said they aren't going to qualify. So just going to stroke my ego a little bit here. <laughs> I just want a guy. If they're going to play defensive football, that's fine. I don't care. I just want results. If they're going to grind out one one nil results, that's fine. If they're going to go and play beautiful, expressive football. And they're gonna win games three two. Well, go ahead. That's fine too. I don't care. I just want. I just want to know the national team is in a better place than it was when uh, 2018 qualifying took uh, started. We were laughed at for suggesting that the U.S. men's national team could fail to qualify for the World Cup. We did a segment on the show before Jake was on, and we were mocked for even suggesting the idea. And look what happens. Is this going to bite U.S. soccer in the ass in two years' time? The fact that the coach didn't have the extra four or five months to talk to the players, particularly at the beginning of a European season, those players in Europe who will look at I the don't goal. Think it, I, so, Steve, I don't think it will bite him in the ass. I don't, I, don't, I don't think so. But I do think this is just a waste of time because, look, we're, we're, we are getting a look at players, right? And they are building some higher film. All right, cool. But whatever coach we have that we that is brought in, they might have a completely different system. They're not going to run Dave Sarek four one that like doesn't work, or, or like you know, play the oh, don't even give me start on Dave Sarek, please. Um, it, there's going to be a different system in place, and he could be planting those seeds and you know developing. All right, well we're going to do this, this, and this, guys. Let's not forget, we have a gold cup coming up this summer. The first major competition the U.S. men's national team will compete in since uh, failing to make the World Cup in 2018. Let's not forget that. That's coming up. Expectations are high. They should be. like they, they, They're going to be high, but let's keep – I'd keep them modest. Mexico, who is coming off a World Cup appearance, has a much brighter future than us. We're, we were – God awful in that Mexico game until Julian Green was subbed on until that red card. There was nothing going on. That game was boring. I almost fell asleep. There was also some nap football right there. <laughs> it's like, guys, really, what are we doing laughing off uh, great candidates for an MLS coach? And you know what? Jake's right. We, MLS coach could be great. could be fantastic. could be awesome. But I, I'm not going to wait 11 months for an MLS coach. Are you joking? They could have signed Burhalter at the beginning of the MLS season. They really wanted to. If that's the guy, that's just that's just a mismanagement of mismanagement. That's a fireable offense. If U.S. Soccer go after an MLS guy, runs a joke. It hasn't changed ever since we covered the election. Hasn't changed one bit. Not one bit. This is the same incompetence. Things all all we're seeing is uh, the youth players get a chance, which is what me and Steven were asking for. You know, during qualifying. So that that's not even like Dave Sarakan or anything. That's a logical thing to do. That's the right thing to do. That's not like, oh, Dave Sarakan, you're so amazing for calling up. No, that's what you're supposed to. If you're gonna miss the World Cup, kick out all the dead weight, all the all the sheep, and then move on from there. Like, come <laughs> on, man. It's such a joke. It is such a joke that we're sitting here right now and talking about how the USMS national team still does not have a coach. If any, we have a coach. We don't have a coach, but if anybody, we have a guy who's in place who's running the same garbage four one four one, 
terrible soccer until he's forced to make a change. And then, wow, now we're seeing success. Guys, what are we doing? Seriously, I, I, I keep repeating that, but I don't know what's going on. Why are we waiting so long for an MLS coach? Why is Oscar Pereira not being talked about? And you know, again, it's not even like my, it's not even like me like being FSB reports thing is why? Why are we talking about a guy who's been at all levels? He's talked to, he's been an academy director. He's been a coach of a top MLS side. He had one bad season. I'm sure he looked through Greg Berhalter for me. Wait, Armand. Bad wait, seasons. wait. Why he are had, we eliminating him after one poor year? He had one well, I bad don't why half Todd season. Cap Ramos would even be considered, considering his teams can't qualify for the Olympics. <laughs> garbage, man. Garbage. Absolute garbage. This talent, this coaching pool is garbage. And hopefully, U.S. can uh, salvage it. But I think missing out on Juan Carlos Osorio and people comparing him to Klinsman was the dumbest. Uh, I want to. Like, it's the dumbest freaking thing I've ever seen. Oh, because he's a squad rotation. He is like Klinsman. Yeah. Woo. Yeah. Get the hell out of here, man. This is garbage. The U.S. media, the way they the way they look at certain candidates is garbage. And the way here they push mar- narratives is trash. Trash. Don't even get me started. Oh, like, I'm, I'll be happy with Greg Berhalter. I think he'd be an okay coach. But why? why we're not talking about Oscar Pereira because of a media narrative. We're not talking about Juan Carlos Osorio because he sounds like Klinsman. Did Klinsman do certain like Klinsman did some bad things like on the field and we know that we talked about that, but man, we're, why is Klinsman such like a, a guy, every, like the devil? Everything he said in regards to what players need to be doing to get prepared right. for the national team, he was right. And nobody, the media doesn't want to admit that. Any any MLS media member, it seems like, doesn't really want to admit that. Or anybody who was an anti Klinsman guy for the most part, they don't have the balls. Yeah, he was right. They need to be in Europe. You can't be relying – your national team cannot mostly come from MLS. If MLS was a top five league in the world, sure, go ahead. Yeah, tell everybody to go play in MLS. That's fine. But to suggest that that you can rely on a league that isn't even the best league in its confederation to provide players to the national team is asinine. Josie Altidore, Michael Bradley, guys like that should have stayed in Europe and said – they took, and I don't blame them either for doing this because you know what? They got a lot more money to come to MLS. But in the grand scheme of things, them playing in MLS had a negative impact on the national team. Well, and man, go, go, one, one last thing, Steve. One last thing. And people are like, oh, this is so exciting. You know, our young players are playing. We beat Mexico. That game was awful, man. The game was not good until until they subbed on Julian Green. And, you know, decided to play some wonky 4-1-4-1, like four defensive midfielders. And here's the thing, too. This is why I don't understand why Dave Sirikin's getting a big old pat in the back for doing this. I sure as hell hope that the young kid that's in uh, U.S. soccer would be getting a look after you fail to qualify for the World Cup. Why, if, if, if we failed to qualify for the World Cup, well, we did, okay? And we go into those World Cup tune-ups against France and... Uh, Bolivia, and I forget the other team they played against. If if we went into those matches and we're like, well, you know what? We're going to trout out uh, Michael Bradley and Clint Dempsey and Josie Altidore and uh, Jeff Cameron and all the guys that were part of the failure, we're going to trot them back out there again because why not? Like, come on. He doesn't deserve a pat on the back. That was the most logical step to do. And you guys exactly. were right. You guys said that these – the, 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 these kids should have been implemented into the side sooner during qualifying. That should have happened. 
And now we're getting Sarakin's getting a big old pat in the back for doing it. Like that's the next logical step that 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 had to be done. If I I, I don't know what I would have done if they would have if if the, the same side that failed to get a point in Trinidad and Tobago was trotted out there against Mexico last week. It's I would have, like sorry, something at them, man. I'm sorry, I'm so, I'm sorry, keep interrupting you, Stephen. But it's it's just it's unbelievable. I mean, we've talked about this for so long, but it's unbelievable that we're talking about the state of the U.S. Men's national team. It's been a year, and I feel like there's been a little bit of progress on the field, but off the field, same old dumpster fire. It's 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 embar- it's it's embarrassing for me that. I genuinely believe that the Iranian national football team, with all the sanctions they have, is in a much better place than the U.S. men's national team. Let's think about it. Let's break it down real quick. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry I keep this going longer, but let's think about it for a second. They used to have players signed for Brighton. A lot of their players are leaving the uh, domestic Persian Golf League and going to Europe. I think one of them just signed for Nottingham Forest in the championship. Uh, they have a couple players in the championship. Uh, they have a potential, I think, Atletico Bilbao or Madrid. I think it's Madrid. Uh, academy player uh, that uh, they just found out he has Iranian nationality. Um, they're coming through with a, a system, and if they can keep Kiros for one more cycle, they will finally have an identity that hasn't been found before. They're playing selfless. Uh, they're playing selfless soccer. They had a great performance at a World Cup, the best performance probably ever in a World. Actually, I think it was the best performance ever in a World Cup. Uh, they have young players coming up the system. A U-17 team beat Germany, I think, 4-0 in the U-17 World Cup in India. Does that not sound brighter in the United States that, you know, constantly that that failed to make a World Cup, doesn't have an identity? Uh, a lot of players are still in MLS. Some of the young players are going to Europe, but they're not getting looks. They're not getting looks. It's like third division, you know, they're not getting looks. It's, all MLS kids are, are getting looks. Does that not sound like a better future than what the U.S. men's national team has? Because I sure as hell think they do at the moment. And it should be a shame that USSF has fallen this far, not pecking order, that a team with sanctions that plays on basically cow dirt is ahead of them. Embarrassing. Embarrassing. And all USSF should be ashamed. Carlos Codero, you've proved nothing to me in your time in your time there. Nothing. Grow you, up. You know that one... Do you know that one politician from I think it's Minnesota, Jake, uh, that has the dumpster fire in the background, and it's an actual dumpster fire? Have you seen that? No, I, I no. What? This is a thing. I can't be Minnesota. You have to be wrong. No, a thousand, uh, ten thousand lakes. What? Who? Who has that slope? That's, that's us. That's Minnesota. It, that's you. That you have a politician who. Uh, talks about having a dumpster fire of Washington, D.C., and he actually has a dumpster fire behind them. I don't understand the U.S. media when they when they talk about progress being made. It is a natural progression that the team would progress from where we were a year ago when you bring in all these young kids and they have more games under their belt. Of course that's going to happen. They also just get older. Like, Tyler Adams is a year older than he is one year ago today. Like, it is the natural progression. These young kids were going to break through at this time no matter what. The, it, look at Mexico. They got young kids breaking through their system, and they just qualified for the World Cup. Tell me what the difference is between U.S. soccer and the Mexican Federation. They're both looking for coaches. One's just had a whole freaking year to do it, and they seem to have no direction. Mexico, I don't know. They seem to be also confused. Listen to the game broadcast with Gomez and Sebastian Salazar. 
We're going to try to bring in Salazar on in the next couple weeks to talk about the dynamic between U.S. soccer and the Mexican Federation and the overlaps and who is in a better uh, going forward, who is in the better or who is in the driver's seat going forward between the two federations? Because we know those are supposedly 1A and 1B. The answer is Mexico. It's not USSF. If anything you have an answer between a country and USSF, it's definitely, it's definitely Mexico. They have freaking some of the top talent that's being scouted by Man United. Diego Lainez is being and uh, Alvarado. So many scouts are being looking at them. But you know what? It's not USSF. I'll tell you that. It's not them. Don't, don't even compare the two. Mexico, for some reason is on a whole different standard right now compared to USSF, and that's how garbage USSF is and rants. All right, listeners, if you truly believe U.S. soccer is heading in the right direction, let us know. We want to know why. We gave you your thoughts. All right, it's been a show of hot takes. You think our takes about Save the Crew and MLS in Austin were completely wrong? FC Dallas fans, maybe you dislike what we had to say? Send send in your thoughts. We love when we hear it. At Jake Watrova for all the hate mail. I'm just kidding, Jake. Send it at Steven Jodder and at Armand Kifai. Maybe at Unc Sam Soccer Pod because we all see the Twitter account. We all get the notifications and we love it. We love the fan interaction. Uh, it was Alexi Lawless that said this stuff benefits U.S. soccer. And I believe that too. I'm in agreement with Alexi Lawless there that any conversation about U.S. soccer does ultimately make it better because people talk about it. And there is going to be a natural progression where hopefully accountability actually ends up at the feet of U.S. soccer. So we'll see what happens. We'll be back next week with another episode. Until then. Get a credit card that gives you what you need now a low interest rate on everyday purchases, and a place to transfer high interest rate balances. The PenFed Gold Contactless Card is our lowest rate credit card. You can even earn a $100 statement credit when you spend $1,500 in the first 90 days. Join PenFed, and together we can help you keep more of what's yours. Visit penfed.org goldcard. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. Dunkin's new wake-up go-tos mean you never have to choose between breakfast meats again. Now you can get a wake-up wrap with bacon and a wake-up wrap with sausage for $3. That's savory and sweet, crispy and spicy. It's everything you love about breakfast for $3. Wake up your day with new wake-up go-tos. Get two egg and cheese wraps for $2 or mix and match your favorite meats with two bacon, ham, sausage, or turkey sausage wraps for $3. America runs on Dunkin'. Participation may vary. Exclusions apply. Limited time offer.